We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I'm Vince D'Addario. That's Brian Driscoll. And it's a Friday free-for-all mailbag. The best day of the week, baby. Vince's favorite day. Fired up. It is. It's my favorite day of the week. And it, was, it will continue to be my favorite day of the week. But you all can help me with that by hitting that like button, hit that subscribe button, all of the different things that you can do. Tell your friends about us. Man. Notification I, bell. Because yeah, we're going to have a show tomorrow. So you're going to want to. You're going to want to. Ooh, okay, we'll okay. Talk about that as we kind of get started. We're gonna have a special show tomorrow, and it's not gonna be a Garth Brooks pregame show. Like that's not what no. we're gonna be doing tomorrow no. at all. No. Um, but uh, I actually met one of our uh, our avid listeners the other day. Came into school, and it, we were talking. He's like, just to see you. Boy. He goes, I know that voice because <laughs> he just yeah. listens to it on the podcast. So he didn't like, come in just to see you, right? He didn't just show up yeah. at your high school. <laughs> like I'm looking Yo, for sure. Vince D'Addario. I'm a big fan. Yeah, that would be real creepy. Yeah. Um, but uh, it would. I would still give you know say hey, what's be up. Kind of cool. Kind of. Yeah. Humbling. No, it would. Don't be cool, do it. No one do it. But it's amazing the people I see out and about that are like, yeah. hey. I, but so it, yeah. it's awesome. But anyway, we have a so, great. I, like I've told, I was joking so about great. this the last four or five times I've been out in public. I've had someone come up and like you know, you know, hey, are you? One guy didn't know who I was because I had just shaved my beard, and so he's <laughs> like, I be. I was like, are you feeling with Irish Yeah, it's I'm Brian and. And I love it because it it's just great. shows what kind of great community we're building. And I'm, no I'm happy to know that there's local people that listen to our show, too, which I think is great. So I love the community we're building, and it's a lot of fun, and we appreciate you all being here. No and doubt. I've had meetings this week with – or last two weeks with people from SI. They're loving what we're doing. I've met with Blue Wire. Beautiful. They're loving what we're doing. I'm not meeting with anybody from Google. They don't care. <laughs> so we have – you know, we're good. <laughs> With the people we work with on a daily basis are happy with the community, but it's because of the, what y'all are building. And so yeah. uh, we just to give you an example of, of how great it's been last month in April, we had over two million page views on our message board and our website. Last year on our site alone, we had about 400,000. So it's been so much fun growing this and we have a great community, tons of great conversation on the message board. But yeah. right now, the focus is on 
our daily mailbag. And That's we have right. Tons you guys drive it already. You guys so are driving the show. And rolling. So let's let's go down the road here. Get it rocking and rolling. We're going to do recruiting and team both hours. You know, so we're just going to get rocking and rolling. And if something needs to be held over for when Ryan's on here, we'll hold it over. Or we may ask it again if it's something that we might get his opinion on as well. So, So Vince, let's get started at the top, man. Absolutely. So the first question is not from John A1, which is different. So I love it. So Scott has a quick question here. He says, good day, IB. Do we have any recruits that have commitment dates set? Yes. So this was not I don't I didn't know that this was supposed to be public, but uh, <laughs> two four seven sports does their commitment countdown thing. The the kids that are going to do it on their show, they put it out there once kids agree whether the kids have gone public with it or not. There are two Notre Dame prospects who are going to be making a decision here soon. Tomorrow, four o'clock is the scheduled time as of right now. Devin Houston is going to be making his commitment on CBS Sports. We will be live for that at four o'clock, so we'll carry that live and we'll talk about whatever his decision may be. And then what it means for Notre Dame after he makes that decision. So that'll be at four o'clock. Notre Dame, Michigan, other schools are the ones contention. As we've been telling you for a few weeks now, love where Notre Dame is on that one. And they did a great job in that recruitment. Now Washington and Marcus Freeman both have done a phenomenal job in that recruitment. Chad Bowden as well has been very instrumental in that recruitment. So they've done a great job there. Now it's about closing time, right? And we'll have more on that one tomorrow. Also on May 13th, Sullivan Absher is going to be making his decision. The offensive lineman from North Carolina, talented player. As we talked about before, Clemson was crushing that recruitment for a while. He had been on campus. He'd met Coach Heastan, liked Notre Dame a lot. They made his top three, but Clemson was the team to beat, and Notre Dame did a tremendous job during his visit during the Blue Gold game weekend. We feel really good about where things stand with Notre Dame right now. Now, again – there is seven days left. And what I've always said is when commitments like this happen and a kid knows is making his decision and, and schools know where they're trending, you got that last week to throw all, throw everything you got at a kid. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And so Notre Dame's going to have to do the same thing. Clemson's going to do the same thing. NC state's going to do the same thing. We've talked a lot about this on the message board. I believe we've talked about this on the show as well. Ryan and I both have uh, feel really good about where Notre Dame stands. We feel that coming out of that visit, Notre Dame put themselves in position to be the team to beat for Sullivan Absher. So Crazy. those are two big ones. I mean, those are two top 250 up. kids. Yeah, Devin Houston to me is 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 underrated at in, as a top 250-ish kid. To me, he's more of a top 150 kid. 6'5", 270, athletic Really good. I mean, he, he, really good projection for the nose and the Notre Dame defense. But he's not a nose, right? I think he fits that nose position great. But you know, he's the kind of athlete he can play three technique. He can go out and play a five technique, Vince, and an odd front. Like he could play all. He could play all of the power positions in the Notre Dame right. defense, right? But I love him for the nose position. But he's not pigeonholed at nose, right? He's more like Howard Cross than he is Kurt Heinisch. You know what I mean? In, in that he can move all over. He's bigger and longer than Howard Cross, but I mean, as far as positional flexibility, he's more Howard Cross than he is Kurt Heinisch, who was more of a pure nose, or Jason Adamiola, who's more of a three edge. I think Devin can bring a little all of that to the table. Really unique player. And again, he's a a Maryland kid. He's, he's, this is an area Notre Dame has to have more success. And, And so hopefully this can be the first domino to fall. And we'll, you know, we'll have a lot more to say about his recruitment and what we know and backstory and all that kind of stuff tomorrow. Once he announces his decision to Sullivan Absher is a guy that Notre Dame has been on for a while. Harry Heastan loves him. 
you know, he's a, he's a kid that's going to need a little bit of work, Vince, because he's coming yeah. from a triple option offense. You know, but he's a big kid. He's got to you know get his body reshaped a little bit. But man, he's powerful. He's quick off the ball. He plays tackle now. I think when you put him in, a, you know, I, I think he's more of a tackle guard for me. Right mm-hmm. tackle guard for me. I like him more at guard. I know other people like him at tackle. Notre Dame is recruiting him to play tackle with knowing that he could obviously move to guard. That's what the coach Eastan does. Yep. yep. And, and so I really, really like this kid. Really like this kid a lot. You know, he's kind of grown. He's one of those guys that kind of grown on me a little bit. You know, he's the top 250 kid, you know, good player, strong kid. He's another guy that Notre Dame has identified. I mean, this is a guy that Harry Heaston early on said, yep, I right. like that guy. Let's go get him. And and, and you, you see why, Vince. He's he's a tough kid. You know, I mean, he's got a lot of technique work that, that's going to be needed because he comes from a different type of offense. Right. But he's physical. He gets after it. And, you know, with some work from Harry Heaston and Matt Bayless, I think he's got a chance to be a really good player. So those are the two Notre Dame players right now, Notre Dame recruits right now that have commitments set. And obviously the Notre Dame staff is going to try to close on those and continue to, you know, put themselves some distance between themselves and, and everybody that's trying to chase them for that top spot. And we had a question from Keith Wiegand about, uh, you know, where he's going to be announcing from. I don't know the answer to that. Devin Houston, I don't know. He uh, Keith is from Hagerstown. I, I don't know the answer to that, Keith. I have not. Devin has not tweeted anything about this and, CBS Sports is the one that it put it on. They didn't even announce it. They just put it on their stinking commitment tracker thing <laughs> that it's going to be tomorrow at 4 o'clock. So, but that's what CBS Sports said. That's when they're supposed to carry it. As we saw with Braylon James, they change these things all the time. So that's why you need to make sure you stay. You have the notification bell on so you can be informed when something like that happens and also why you need to either follow us on Twitter, be on the message board, all that stuff because – one thing you need to understand is not every bit of detail goes on every platform. And that's why you need to be locked into as many of them as you can. So that is the latest with Devin Houston and Sylvan Hampshire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My wife is the coffee drinker in our house. So when I told her about trying out Trade Coffee, she was curious. When I told her that if she answered the survey Trade sent me, they could match her with brands she would like, she was downright skeptical. We ended up getting three different shipments from three regional coffee makers. And let me tell you, she was blown away. My coffee snob wife loved each and every new blend that she got. As a non-coffee drinker myself, I must admit, opening up the cabinet and getting a whiff of her most recent blend was aromatically pleasing. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. 
They ship free to you as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee connoisseur like my wife or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. And for Irish Breakdown listeners, right now Trade Coffee is offering up to $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and start your journey to perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $20 off your first three bags. All right, Brian. Well, uh, TB12 for Heisman is jumping in with both feet here, wanting to know about a a slew of recruits and Brian's confidence level uh, in them. He says, what is your confidence level in these recruits to end up at Notre Dame? Of course, Dante Moore, uh, Jagasaw, Mpemba, Osbury, Downs, and Lamar. So he's, he's going for the heavy hitters here. All right. What is my confidence level? So let's give a, I mean, let's, what's kind of a, yeah, I was going to say, what, what, what kind of scale are we working with here? One to 10. Okay. And it's based on where things stand as of right now. Things obviously can change. If you would have asked me my confidence level in Devon and Sullivan Absher a week before he visited for the blue gold game, I would have probably said five. Right. No, five or six. Like, look, you had a puncher's chance because he was coming in for the visit. And anytime Harry right. Eastan gets a second face to face with a kid, and it's, and it's good on, stuff. you know, it's, yeah. it's 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 it was a beautiful day, unlike in January 29th when he visited. It, you got a puncher's chance, right? Or the rest of the and, spring here. <laughs> right. So this is kind of basically where things stand as of right now. Okay. So we'll go, we'll go one, we'll go one to ten. And look, with Dante Moore, I, I know this is one that most people want to hear about. My opinion has to change on this. I'd probably say eight. You know, I my I haven't heard anything in the last two months that's made me change my confidence level where Notre Dame stands. I know other schools are in the mix and all this other kind of stuff, and he's playing the social media game a lot more now and all that. And I'm just look, I'm I'm sitting back and just letting it play out. And if I hear if I get intel that says something different, I'll I'll change my stance. Right? I'm not being stubborn with it. I just haven't heard anything from anybody credible that tells me that right. Notre Dame is not still, in my opinion, the team to beat. But until he makes his decision known, makes his decision and make it known, it's anybody's ball game. But right sure. now, I feel I feel good about where things stand with him. With Charles Jagasaw, I think Michigan has, has made a good charge in this one. I still feel really comfortable with where Notre Dame is. I'd probably say I'd probably say seven on him, but it's down. It would have been a nine a month ago, so it's down a little bit from from where it was before but I still obviously as a seven I feel I feel good for me a seven is you know I, they're they're still I think the clear leader they just got to close on him right and that's the key and he wants to kind of go through the process and do all these type of things and I mean that's his right to do but if Notre if Notre Dame is able to get Sullivan Absher here soon and I feel really good about I'm surprised he didn't have Monroe Freeling in there because that's one of the best prospects on the board but I feel good about where Monroe Freeling is of an Absher. That's where I think Notre Dame can start to kind of push it a little bit and say, hey, man, you know, we want you to be part of this class, but you know, we, we, we can't miss. We can't afford to miss. We need to know where things stand with you. I think as of right now, I like where Notre Dame stands with Charles Jagasaw. With Samuel and Pemba, you know, look, he likes Notre Dame a lot. He always has. And, and there was a time supposedly in the fall where 
he was ready to make a decision and everybody kind of felt Notre Dame was going to be the pick. I still think he loves Notre Dame. I think he likes a lot of things about Notre Dame. I just don't feel like right now he's going to pick Notre Dame. So I'm at like a five for him right now. And, and I know some people might say I'm crazy for that, but because because Samuel says all the right things, and I think he means those things. I think he believes yeah. those things. But I just think it's one thing to love Notre Dame and all that kind of stuff, but it's it's a different thing to say, okay, that's where I'm going. Yeah. And for me, I just don't – I have just for a while now just had this feeling like when push comes to shove, it's going to be a situation where I think other factors are going to have more of a say in that recruitment. And, and I, I think I, I just right now I predict that he's going to stay down south, either go to Missouri or go to a Georgia or Florida, something like that. Notre Dame is still battling with him. Obviously, they still love him. They still want him. But my and I think there's probably people in Notre Dame that have a little bit more confidence than I do. I, you know, but I, I don't just go with what the Notre Dame people tell me or what other sources tell me or what the kids. I try to put it all together. And, and also kind of how I've been doing this for a long time. You just sometimes you get a feel, you know what I mean, yeah. Vince? And just for me, yeah. for whatever reason, I think I think Samuel and Pemble likes Notre Dame a lot. I just I've never felt confident he's going to actually pull the trigger for Notre Dame. And, and this isn't a negative thing. It's not like, oh, he's going to get bought. Or, I'm not saying any of that stuff. It's, it's, it's not a negative. I just think at the end of the day, I just think Samuel's going to look at certain factors and, you know, NFL and being close to the South and buying the, the SEC hype and all that. I just feel like, at the end of the day, I think those arguments are going to are going to carry a lot more for a kid who's right in the middle of SEC country. Right. And I just I also wonder how much the Rover linebacker pitch is really working, because I think other schools are kind of pushing, dude, you're an edge player. You know, you're you're a get after the quarterback kind of guy. And I don't know if Notre Dame can really sell that right now because they're kind of kind of full there right now. So I, I wonder if that, this is again, this is just my opinion. I wonder if that's factoring into his uh, sort of why I'm a little uneasy on just saying, yeah, they're going to get him. But again, they're still fighting and he loves Notre Dame. I mean, it, look, this is not an, he's never said a negative thing about Notre Dame. He's never said anything but great things about Notre Dame. It's not that kind of situation at all. I just think in the end, he stays down south. I actually feel a little bit more confident that Notre Dame's chances with Jaden Osbury than I do Samuel Pemba. Mm. I probably put that one around a six right now. Now, look, there's a lot of game left with him. And he's going to – I mean, he's literally right there in LSU. It's, I think his high school's like, somehow connected or, like, right by LSU's campus. They're not going to give up on him. But this when – I, when, I, when I look at this kid, I just – for a long – I mean, a long time, even when I just didn't feel like they're going to get him, they had no shot because he's freaking from Baton Rouge. Pardon my language. is a little uh, – unprofessional there but like he's from baton rouge right like i mean he's from lsu's backyard it's like there's no way they're gonna get that kid is he the one that yeah he goes to university lab yeah 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 yeah. and so when i look at it i say you know boy that's a that's an lsu kid through and through but then you get to know him and you hear you talk to people that know him he's a phenomenal student academics are super important to him and his family his brother his older brother austin committed to Auburn. I think they're going to be a player, but he liked Notre Dame a lot too. Just Notre Dame never pulled the trigger on him because he's more of a strong safety rover, you know, and they kind of already had that in the class. And so when I, when I look at, when I look at, at, at the situation, Vince, I, I see a kid that to me is such a great Notre Dame fit in so many different ways. And it's like, 
my initial, no, nah, I don't think they have a shot, was more of my own BKPTSD. Like, you're not going to go to into Baton Rouge and get a kid that LSU wants whose dad works at, like, I believe his dad, somebody told me his dad, like, works at LSU in some capacity. Like, you're not getting that kid. But the family has brought him up, I think, at least so far two times, I think maybe three times already on unofficial visits, meaning on their own dime, they've come up from Baton Rouge to see Notre Dame. I'm told the family is is really into more than just football, right? Like, hey, you need to think about this holistically, and that's yeah. one of the big reasons that that he's got this – that I view him as a Notre Dame kid. It's just he's got that strong support system that kids from areas like that need to have. And what I mean by areas like that is there are certain kids that live in areas that are very – geared towards that local school right when it's areas like that it's not referring to you know high school background neighborhood it's it's you're in lsu territory you're in texas territory you're in oklahoma territory i'd be saying the same thing if he was from norman oklahoma or athens georgia or gainesville florida i mean that's where he's from he's from lsu's backyard in order to really have a shot with a kid like that you have to have a family that, that views this as more than just football and from everything I've heard, the Osberries are very much that his that, that family is very much. Hey, football is going to be gone somewhat soon. You got to make sure you're making a choice that's also going to help prepare you to be successful in life. And kids like that are always going to to have that attraction to Notre Dame. They have, I mean, and there's kids that have that attraction that their parents don't. And that's when those kids ultimately don't end up at Notre Dame. This is a situation where I think the young man and the family both yeah. get that. Now that doesn't guarantee he's going to pick Notre Dame. Because as we've seen, like Myron Roll, Myron Roll's a road scholar, but he still felt Florida State was the best option for him in both areas, and that's that can be true for some people. So Notre Dame has a lot of selling to go there, and but I I feel better, I feel good about that. Well, not good, great, but I feel good about that when I put that one as a six. Caleb Downs, I'm still a three, and the reason is is I think he likes Notre Dame a lot. There's no doubt in my mind he gets along well with the Notre Dame commits. He's been on campus now three times. Five-star kid's been on campus three times. You're in the ball game, But I just feel like, for the kind of like Mpemba, even, but even less confident, at the end of the day, it's going to be a school with a more proven, proven track record of producing elite players in that position. Now, I know Harrison Smith and you know Kyle Hamilton, but I mean, I just I see I have a hard time seeing a kid from Georgia who plays defense not going to Georgia or school like that. I just, I I have a hard time with that one. Right. But I will also admit that Caleb talks to almost no one. And I don't think anybody has a really good feel for that one. So you almost have to track his words. I mean, I mean his actions, not his words, because he doesn't have a lot of words and his actions are kids been in their name three times. He's coming back in June for an official visit. So they're in the ball game there and the staff has done a great job there. And this is probably me being overly pessimistic and my, you know, BK PTSD myself, but it's also about following trends, you know, and I just I, I just I feel like he's going to stay south. I, I do. Now, he's got an official visit to Notre Dame, an official visit to Ohio State, and his dad coaches football, I think, somewhere in Tennessee. So, I mean, the family's got, they're, you know, they they're not locked into Georgia like like other kids that, you know, who may be from Georgia. But I just feel like at the end of the day, this is going to be a hard one to, to do. Now, if I feel if we get if I get the same vibes coming out of the of the June visit that I had coming out of his most recent visit to Notre Dame, which was really good vibes. If I get those same vibes coming out of his next visit, then I'll bump this up. But I, it's just one of those ones where look, I'm always going to be honest with you guys. I could, I could pump sunshine up your, you know what, 
right now and it sounds great. And then when he picks somewhere else, oh, well, you know, it was true at the time, but you know, things change that easy cop out. I'm going to be straight with you all. So I, that's just one that I have a, I have a, a, a tough time really saying, seeing them closing the deal, but man, they have done a fun Chris O'Leary, Marcus Freeman, uh, Chad or Chad Bowden. I mean, all the coaches have done of Mike Mickens. They've all been involved in this one. They've done a great job with Caleb. I don't think there's anything they could do different other than just move the campus about 350, 400 miles to the Southeast. <laughs> right. That's, that's about it, you know? And I just feel like, but man, they've done a great job on that one. I'm just not super optimistic about it. Jaden Lamar, it's probably going nine right now. I, I think, you know, look, there's, there's no such thing as a 10 unless a kid is committed. And even then, if he's taking visits, he's not a 10, right? And but I feel I feel really good about where this one's been going. And it's been going, it's been going good for a while. Once Dylan McCullough kind of zeroed in on that being the guy that I want to go with Cedric Irvin, I think they I think they put themselves in in great, great position. He he's he was at Arizona this last week, and I believe he has one more visit set up, but I, I would I wouldn't be shocked if by the end of the month this one's over. And unless somebody, you know, look, there's other schools fighting for him, right? Like I said, he just went to Arizona. Arizona, people are sleeping on Arizona just in general. Arizona had a really strong recruiting class last year. They had three or four, like, top 250 caliber guys last year. They got a borderline five-star receiver in McMillan, the kid from Servite. So, they, Jed Fish has got an NFL background. He hired some really strong recruiters on that staff. So, I don't just dismiss Arizona like some other people are. But I think they'd have to do a lot to overcome what their name is. There's some other programs trying to do the same thing, UCLA, other places. So they're going to have to fight off some people here between now and the end of the month. But as of things stand right now, I, I feel super confident in, in Jay Lamar. So if I were to rank them, comp, most confident to least confident, Jay Lamar, number one, Dante Moore, number two, Charles Jagasol, number three, Jaden Osbury, four, Samuel Pemba, five, and then Caleb Downs, six. So that was a long answer. But I think hey. I gave you a ton of good, juicy nuggets hey. there from a recruiting standpoint, and I think it was worth it. Detail. I love it. Love it. Let's see. Leopard Irons. Irons. Excuse me. Leopard Irons. I know Mayer is the best player of the best in the country, but do you think he's good enough that Coach Holtz would have thrown him the ball? Keep up the great work, fellas. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to give you some data here, all right? When you think of, like, all the great tight ends. There were some great um, tight ends there when the Holtz was oh there. Oh, my gosh. Yes, okay. yes. So I'm, I'm going to give you – this is a this is a great comment. And I love – I love – that's, like, a perfect Irish breakdown, like, um, <laughs> level of, like, uh, like sarcasm there that I just – I'm all for. I, I just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely love. I am all here for that. But let's think about this. They had – so Herb Smith was a, a first-round pick, right? I'm going to try yeah. to pull up Notre Dame's first round. They had Herb Smith was a first-round pick. Eric Brown was a first-round pick, right? And I'm gonna, let me just pull up this draft history website here real quick and find the Notre Dame guys. So if you look at the tight ends that were drafted under the Colts in the Colts Coach Holtz era, so you had Pete Kerplevitz, right? He oh, was he was, he was was drafted in 1997. So I'm just trying to find all these all these guys' stats just so you guys can understand. He was a fifth-round pick. And then, obviously, Herb Smith was a first-round pick. You had Derek Brown was a first-round pick. And back-to-back years, Notre Dame had top 20 picks at tight end. And then they also had Oscar McBride, who was not drafted, but he spent some time in the NFL, and he was a starting tight end. I was giving him a hard time watching him uh, 
have a great block against Florida State. Oscar in his career had 18 catches for 140 yards. Career. Right? Right. First career. Pete Kriplevitz had 48 catches for 580 yards in his career. His last, his best year was 27 catches, 331 yards, which was actually better than Irv Smith's best, best year. <laughs> Irv Smith's best season at Notre Dame. He had here, here's Irv Smith's four years at Notre Dame one catch for six yards, one catch for six yards. Six catches for 86 yards, 20 catches for 262 yards and two touchdowns, and he was a first-round NFL draft pick. <laughs> Derek Brown, also a first-round NFL draft pick. He had more production overall, but never a big, big season. In 88, he had 12 catches for 150 yards, three touchdowns. And next year, 13 catches for 204 yards. Next year, 15 catches for 220 yards. The next year, he had 22 catches for 325 yards and four touchdowns. He was a first-round NFL draft pick. And then you compare that to old Michael Mayer. Mm-hmm. Right. So for his career, Irv Smith had 62 catches. I'm sorry. Uh, excuse me. For his career, Derek Brown, who was the most productive tight end of that group during the time, had 62 catches for 899 yards and eight touchdowns. Michael Mayer in 2021 had 71 catches for 840 yards and seven touchdowns. So he had he had more career production than than than. Uh, Pete Kerplevitz and Irv Smith. He had twice as many yards and catches in one year as Irv Smith had his entire career. And, and he had more catches and, and fewer yards than, than Dirk Brown had a first career, but only by 59 yards and only one fewer touchdown in one season. So yeah, the offense is a little bit more tight end friendly than it was for coach Holtz. And that's one of the things and I love that Le- Le- leopard, uh, that Leopard Iron said that because, you know, there's this thought that, you know, Notre Dame produced great tight ends and they did. They just didn't throw them the ball a lot. And now when they did, they, they had some big plays. They didn't throw them the ball a lot. So uh, love, love that comment and appreciate the, the kind words. And, and it was funny. I put a thing out, a tweet out yesterday and, and it was about Michael Mayer and it was a, a draft preview by, by Ryan. And it was like, you know, Michael Mayer has a chance to be the nation's best tight end this year. And there were people that are like real salty about that. He already was the best time. Like, okay, you may think so. I may think so. But there's a lot of people that don't outside of the Notre Dame universe, which speaks to that bubble that I had. And it's like you can disagree with me and not be a, not be a, not be childish about it. You know what I mean? It's like he's already the best tight end. Oh, that's debatable. Was a third team All American. Wasn't a finalist for the John Mackey Award. So clearly, there's some people that didn't think he was the best tight end. And I also think that thought process takes away from the fact that there's actually still room that Michael Mayer can get better which is oh, yeah. a really scary thought for the rest of college football. Like a better version of Michael Mayer, right. you know, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> and, and and David Knight said this, you know, Derek Brown was a physical specimen and really got the ball. Derek Brown was 6'7". He's from the Miami, 6'7", and athletic. David is absolutely correct on that. He was a, a physical specimen and a heck of a player, but he just just never got the ball. Never got the ball. And Jabari Holloway was was a was a later. He was not part of the Lou Holtz era. He came he came a little bit later. But how about that? Pete Kriplevitz had more had a better individual season and better than than Derek Brown or or Irv Smith ever did. Funny stuff. Yeah, man, funny stuff. Option football for you, buddy. Yeah. All right. Go. Well, I hate sure. it. <laughs> You're a tight end at heart. Uh, Jordan Schreiber says, can Tommy Reese do the same thing Phil Longo did with North Carolina with Sam Howell putting up big numbers along with 1,000-yard receivers plus two 1,000-yard running backs? Uh, I don't think so. 
I, I don't think, number one, Notre Dame's going to play a tougher schedule than North Carolina played. I mean, North Carolina plays a full ACC schedule, plus relatively soft you know, season otherwise. It's also a different offense. I mean, it, it's a it's a more tempo offense. It's an offense that's geared towards – and the thing about the tempo is you got to think about is like it's, it's not necessarily going to run more plays because they don't always run more plays, but they run a lot. You know, they were sixth in the nation in, in total plays in, in 2000. And in 2020, for example, this past year, they were down a little bit because they weren't as good. But in 2020, right. when they had the 2,000-yard runners in, in Michael Carter and Javante Williams, this is the one he's talking about. You had De'Ami Brown, who was a 1,000-yard receiver, and then Sam Howe, who was a 3,000-yard a passer quarterback. You know, they, they, they were sixth in the nation of plays. That, that's, that's a lot of plays. Lot and of plays. if you look at Notre Dame this past year, See, Notre Dame was 43rd in total plays. So, and even, you know, so I just, when I, when I look at it, it's one of those things, Jordan, where it's just a different type of offense. Number one, number two, when you look at that production at, at the running backs for, for that year, I'm pulling up the, the numbers. There was like, nobody else got carries. And that, that's the other thing that you, you have to look at as well. So when you look at the rushing production from 2020, uh, Michael Carter had 1,245 yards. Javante Williams had 1,140 yards, which is insane, by the way. The next highest guy was Sam Howell with only 146 yards. The next guy after that was had 99 yards. So they only averaged 235 yards a game. Well, only. That's really good. But that's 30 right. fewer than what Notre Dame had in 2017. The difference is, is in 2017, Notre Dame split those carries between like five different guys. Right. And and to me, that's a bit of a difference. And And so, like, for example, this year, could if you were to tell me that between Tyler Buckner, Chris Chris Tyree, Audric Estime, Jadarian Price, and then whenever Logan Diggs gets back being healthy, if you were to tell me that Notre Dame's going to average the same number of rushing yards that that North Carolina had in 2020, would I believe it? Yeah, I'd believe it. I just don't think all the yards are going to be in two guys. Number one, you're going to have a quarterback that's going to take away some of the yards. Right. So, like when you look at 2020, for example, Jordan, and this is a, this is a great question, by the way. When you look at it in 2020, Javante Williams had 1140. That was in 11 games, right? You know, it was a COVID shortened year. They didn't play in the bowl game, right? So you add two more games to that. At his yards per game, he'd have been around 1350 for the year if you add two more games. Michael Carter was a 1245. He was like 113 a game. So you could add, you know, he'd be around like 1470, right? Those are really good production. But at least at least one of those guys is going to get like five six hundred yards taken away, if not a couple of them, five six hundred yards taken away just by the quarterback, because Sam Howe that year only had one hundred and forty six yards. Tyler Buckner is going to run for at least five hundred yards, in my opinion, next year. I mean, and that could be low, but I think he goes for at least five hundred. I mean, that's what Ian Book did, and Tyler and Ian was just a pure scrambler. Like all his yards came off scrambles. Tyler will have some scramble yards, but he's also going to have some designed run yards. Ian was not good on the read zone. Tyler is really good on the read zone. So that's going to factor into it too, Jordan. Is just And then that doesn't include the, the next highest running back only had 99 yards. So the third running back had 99 yards. There's no way in heck that Notre Dame's third running back in 2022 is only going to have 99 Absolutely. yards. Yeah, agreed. So that's the reason it's going to be challenging. You know, could Tommy Reese do it? I guess if he wanted yeah. to force it but i just don't think that's gonna that's gonna be the best thing for notre dame now could they have a thousand yard rusher an 800 yard rusher and a thousand yard receiver that's possible that's possible but again 
I think when you look at North Carolina that year, they throw the ball. They threw the ball a ton, right? But the other thing is they had only two guys over 350 yards receiving. It, it was like it was one 1,099 by Deami Brown. Daz Newsom had 684. And then after that, it was like 337, 305, 267, 255. I mean, you're you're going to have the ball spread between more than two guys in, in this offense. I mean, the, the backs are going to touch the ball as North Carolina's did. You're, you're going to have Lorenzo Styles, Avery Davis, Braden Lindsay, you know, right. potentially Deion Colsey, potentially Tobias Merriweather, potentially Joe Wilkins, the tight end, you know, all those. It's just, I just think the ball is going to be spread around more, where a ton of the production for North Carolina that year was given to four guys the two running backs, Deami Brown and Daz Newsom. And, you know, and Daz Newsom had six, only 684 receiving yards, you know, but he, he also was a punt returner and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But like, a lot of the production was was on offense was between four guys, right. and really three guys plus Daz Newsom is really the better way to say it. With Notre Dame, I just think the ball is going to be spread around a ton more, and that's the reason that I that I don't think Notre Dame would do that, be able to do that. And and again, because they're not a tempo offense, they're more about efficiency and explosiveness. We've talked about that. You know, precision over tempo is more of Tommy Reese's thing. I think that's going to be another another aspect of it as well. All right. Toe Jam 1992 is a good year. Brian, what are the most accurate descriptions for the style of offense and defense we will be running next year? What's a it it's really fits really well to the question that we just had. We were kind of talking about that. Notre Dame's offense is a uh, is what I like to call it, it's a pro-style spread offense. The spread refers more to how they line up. The pro style refers more to what they run, right? So inside, outside zone, you're going to have some quarterback reads because they're going to take advantage of the quarterback being an athletic player that can take some of that pressure off of the the typical run game, right? And, you know, you're going to have inside zone, outside zone. We're going to have some counters. We'll probably have a – I would like to see them bring back the buck sweep that worked so well yeah. uh, with Chip Long in 2017, I think they went away from it because that requires a lot of – I mean, Vince, you know this. That pin and pull stuff requires really good coaching. You have to – you know, angles are so important and all that kind of stuff. All yeah. of that is important. Yeah. How do you react if this guy goes high? How do you react if this right. guy goes low? All right. that type of stuff. You have to have some athleticism at the guard position that they did not have last year at one of those spots. And, and so I, they, they did – some movement stuff in, in 20 that was effective, but even then it was it was because you had some veteran guys. I, I think we'll see a little bit more diversity in the run game this year from, from that standpoint, but it's still very much pro-style stuff, right? The pass game is going to be is, – is what we saw late in the year last year right. was a much better combination of horizontal and vertical stretches. A horizontal stretch is actually four, – the four verts play – is actually a horizontal stretch because right? you're you're right. defending you're you're spreading the defense out horizontally. Right. Flood concepts where like a, you have a post route and you have a deep in cut or dig. It can be from same side or both side, and then you have a cross. That's called that's what we call like levels. Yep. That's a vertical. You're stretching the defense vertically, right? And so it can sound confusing, but that's that's what it is. And so we saw early in the year just a ton of horizontal stretch, just a ton of horizontal stretch, and. Not a not a lot of creativity. I think part of that was O line related, as the coach Reese got more confident in the play of the offensive line. Jack Cohn was getting more time. 
you saw Brian Kelly kind of back out because Brian Kelly was a big vertical horizontal stretch guy. Chip Long pretty much just ignored him as much as he could and did some different things like that. Tommy Reese had more freedom to do that stuff second half of the year, and that's why we saw the offense play a lot better. Not just not just because they played bad teams. They schematically were things they were doing that were more effective. So we saw Tommy Reese doing things like using a, a, a post route as a clear out to bring Kevin Austin, you know, on a deep drag, and then using another, you know, using Michael Mayer on like an out cut to get that defender. So you so you had Michael Mayer and Braden Lindsay on one side, right? And Braden Lindsay runs a post to take away the deep coverage. Then Michael Mayer runs a 10-yard outcut to either freeze that corner or to take that linebacker with him. And then you'd have Kevin Austin coming from the backside, and he's climbing right into that zone behind Michael Mayer or behind Michael Mayer in front of Brayden Lindsey, right? Like that is that is a you're you're using now. Now, if you get a one-on-one, you may bang that that one, you know, that throw to Michael Mayer. And if if you see you know zero coverage, you can still bang that post to Brayden Lindsey. But the, the 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 throw is designed to say, hey. Let's get this going so we can open up this clear route to Kevin Austin. Banged it early in the game against Georgia Tech, right? So that, I think it was the concept I just described. They had another one against Stanford early in the game where they're you're seeing Kevin Austin, their their best receiver, getting wide open on stuff. That's partly bad defense, but that's partly great play design. So we saw more of that. A lot of NFL stuff. You know, there's there's a lot of triangle concepts. We saw a lot more of that. RPOs became much more a part of what they do. So. Uh, that's where I say pro style, a, a pro style spread offense. Defensively, I don't really know what they're going to be next year. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going to be a four down defense. I can still feel very confident saying that. I think we'll see some different looks. I think from what I'm told, a lot of what they're doing defensively in practice, they did not do in the blue goal game. So uh, for obvious reasons. And so I'm not going to get into what we saw because I would like to still have people that talk to me at Notre Dame. It's a good thing, but uh, it, it's gonna it's gonna look a lot different in a lot of different ways, and and a lot of it's gonna be personnel related. You know, they have weapons at linebacker this year, mainly Maris Luafau that they didn't have last year. You've got JD Bertrand in the position. I think he I think he will end up at Mike. I think he'll be better there than he was at Will Prince. Collie's ready to play. So you have a lot more length and athleticism at linebacker this year than you did last year. So I think that that you're gonna see. Coach Golden have more kind of toys to play with. You know, beginning of last year, there was no Ramon Henderson at safety. There was no Xavier Watts at safety. So there's right. just a lot more toys to play with for Al Golden than what Marcus Freeman had at the beginning of last season. And so, you know, that there's there's um there it's it's gonna look a lot different. There's it's gonna look a lot different. I, I will I know this isn't the answer to the question, but the defense is going to be fast and athletic like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I see from the defense. You know what I mean? And I know that doesn't answer the question, but it's going to be so much fun to watch this defense. I'll say mm-hmm. that <laughs> we got a, we have a super chat from we have a couple. Weiss, uh, our, our guy, Zachary Whitfield's in the, uh, in the chat, you know, so uh, Charlie gotcha. Weiss's last belt loop is trying to see if we can send him a, a fan application. So be nice, be nice, everybody. <laughs> and, then, and then we had another super chat. I want to get here from from your boy, just your just your ordinary Joe. Your ah, Joe. nice. He says, uh, "Thank you for the super chat." By the way, he says, "What characterizes programs that have great quarterback development? What features or activities are in common among them, and how does what Tommy and D do compare?" It's a deep question. Very good question. And if you know Joe, you would expect nothing less. Nothing less, absolutely. So, Joe, for me, the great the great quarterback developers have a process that they believe in. 
right? And the process doesn't change no matter who your quarterback is. Now, if you look at like Lincoln Riley, for example, who I thought did a pretty good job developing quarterbacks at Oklahoma, the offense he ran with Baker Mayfield compared to Kyler Murray had a lot of different variations, right? Like there was more quarterback runs with Kyler Murray because he's a more dynamic athlete where Baker didn't. You know, Kyler's a more dynamic overall player, and so they took advantage of that. And so then you look at how – but they were both incredibly successful. Then Jalen Hurts shows up, right? And then he has success doing what he does. And then you say, okay, well, man, they just they keep pumping out these quarterbacks and, and it, you know, tinkering with the system and this, that, and the other thing. But there's a process in that whole thing that 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 they stick with that works for them. And there's certain principles, there's way that you process reads, there's way that you process information, there's focus on fundamentals and technique and getting guys to play the game the right way. There's balancing, making sure this guy really understands all the intricacies of the offense without putting too much on him. And I think that right there, that right there was always the biggest problem under Brian Kelly. He put so much on the shoulders of the quarterback. Like they had to know, like and people ask, you know, what, what was so complex about it? I'll give you an example. We've, we've used this before. You could have a guy line up at receiver and depending on what the defense does, he got three to four different options. And now I'm not talking about like how I would teach it and how other coaches teach it, where I've got a corner route, but if the guy plays deep, I'm going to kind of bend it at a 45 kind of degree angle to fall underneath that cover two corner and, you know, over top of cover two corner, but also, you know, underneath the cover two safety. If if that guy's playing man coverage, I may stick it and take it high, right? If 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 the corner's bailing and the safety's also maybe you know coming up, I'm I'm gonna have to break it off at a different route. And there may be times where you completely change it to an out cut, right? But it's the all within the same framework of that particular route. What I'm referring to, that's not what I'm talking about. That's something most coaches teach. What I'm referring to is he may run a corner, he may run a post dig. He may run a slant or he may run a post route, depending on what they do. That's four completely different concepts based on what the coverage is. So if you're the quarterback, you don't really know what he's doing until you see where he's – because you may think he's supposed to do this, but if you're not sure what he's going to do, you're going to be a little less likely to hold on to that football or to let go of that football on time because you're you're throwing a corner out and he's running a post route and and you're going to have some uncertainty. And that's part of the issue that Ian Book had. The other part is he just – he wasn't a guy that was really good at – at processing information, if we're being if we're being completely honest with you, but you know, you you look at it. There was a lot of full field reads. Where at Oklahoma, it's once you've made your pre snap read, you got one two. I mean, it's, you're going here to here. I mean that that's it. It's not super complex. Maybe a third, but it's it's all here. You know, or here here backside post, right? Like that kind of thing, Vince. Right? Like stuff that you know you could teach at a. It, at a smaller school or things like that, like quarterbacks can do. Like you're reading this, but if that safety comes down, you know that you got that backside post, so we can go, we can go bang it back to right. And and that's not. I mean, it, it's not super complex. You you have some protection stuff. The Notre Dame quarterbacks have to know. So if they do this, we make this check. If they do this little thing, we make that check. If they do this thing, we got to make that check. And it can be sort of overwhelming. You can, yeah. And and, and and that's a reason why for a lot of Kelly's career, their best seasons were with first year starters at quarterback. Because they had to dumbed it down. I mean, right. for black had to, term, but you know, had to, had to, you had yeah. to, you had to lessen the playbook. You had to lessen the responsibility of the quarterbacks. You just let the kids play. Right. And that's also why every kid regressed the further he was into the system. Cause they put more and more and more on. As a 
opposed to them just getting better at what they were doing. Right. Now, my and here's the interesting thing. So Tommy Reese gets a lot of flack for quarterback development, which I understand. I don't think it's necessarily accurate, though. And allow me to make my case. Number one, he had Brandon Wimbush really for a year or two years. Brandon Wimbush was ruined by the time Tommy Reese showed up. And Tommy at the time was like 25 years old. It was really his first full-time coaching job. Okay. And Brandon Wimbush was a completely different kind of type of quarterback than Tommy Reese had ever worked with. I mean, he he himself, Brandon wasn't like Everett by that point in time. Mike Sanford ruined Brandon Wimbush, ruined him mentally, mechanically, in every way possible as a quarterback. I can't expect a 25. I could have fixed that at 25. I feel like I could have fixed it, you know, after coaching for a number of years, but I couldn't have fixed that in my first year as a coach. And I think Tommy Reese could probably do a better job fixing that now that he has a little bit, you know, five years of experience under his belt. But since Brandon Wimbush, we've seen Ian Book have success that he's had. And, and I'll be honest, I think that Tommy Reese got as much out of Ian Book as there was to get out of Ian Book. Because I don't think the things that Ian struggled with were things that Tommy Reese could fix. If a quarterback doesn't process information well, that's you can make you make it a little bit better, and they did, but you can't necessarily fix that. Some kids just can't. Not everybody can read a defense like Joe Montana could. It just it's just right. a reality. Not everybody can do what Tom Brady did mentally. That's what makes those guys so great, right? And, and so w- with him, I think he got the most out of Ian Book. And now Ian didn't necessarily improve because his best year was his first year. But I think part of the reason his year his first year was the best year is. That was probably the most talented team he was a part of offensively, for being honest. You had you know, Dexter Williams at running back. You had Alizé Mack at tight end. You had Chase Claypool. You had Miles Boykin. You had Chris Fink. Those are all NFL players right now. Then you had Kevin Austin off the, you know, coming off the bench. You had, a, you had the offensive line was still a year removed from Harry Heastan, so they still had a lot of Harry Heastan influence. And you know, I thought Ian and Chip Long did a really good job of not asking Ian do it a lot. I mean, they there was one game was I think it was Navy or Ian Book went like 9 of 9 on RPOs. There was another game he was like 10 of 12 on RPOs. I mean, so he wasn't asking to – and then then they eliminated RPOs from the offense in 19 and 20, which is still kind of weird. I don't understand at all because that – But it was successful in 18. Yeah, so so I, I view him – like I think he got the most he could out of Ian Book. And then we saw with Jack Cohn last year – he was making a, tra- a transition from being an under center quarterback at Wisconsin to a shotgun quarterback in Notre Dame. Right. I think early Jack had some, Jack had a bad line. He was getting used to playing with those guys. The offense was being somewhat bastardized by Brian Kelly. Cause he still wanted to have his say. And you had a fact that Jack was still making the mechanical adjustments to the footwork of avoiding pressure under as a shotgun quarterback compared to under center. You hear it every year during the draft. You get these shotgun guys that they're like, hey, watch this guy try to throw from a drop back. He, he can't do it. He's still learning it, right? Well, and that's what Jack was going through. But if you look at it, Jack got better and better and better and better and better throughout the year. Here's another thing I like. I think Tommy Reese can be a little too hard sometimes on quarterbacks. I thought that early in his career especially because he, you could coach him hard. Like Tommy, you could because Tommy would give it right back to you. I mean, there's how many times do we see he Tommy and BK kind of going at it on the sideline when Tommy is a quarterback? Because he's a very confident kid. He could take hard coaching. And sometimes when you're a young coach, you're going to coach kids how you like to be coached or how you could be coached. And I think, and That's we true. saw we heard something last year where Jack Cohn went up to Tom Reese and was like, "Hey, come at me like you win at so and so, like you win at Ian." Because 
he, you know, Jack's a quiet kid. He's not a real like intense kid. Like, you know, you, you, and you worry about kids like that. And he always kind of has this, like, you know, he's got those bright eyes. You just you're like, okay, I don't know how hard can I push this right. kid. And so Tommy didn't go at him as hard right away. That tells me he's being thoughtful about, okay, I want to make sure I don't break this kid. Right. And then you have Jack comes and says, Hey, I want you to push me. Okay. And, and then you realize, then you realize, okay, his dad's a cop. He's, he's, he's a lot tougher than I thought. Maybe you know, mentally tougher than I thought. Okay. Let me go at him. And then, you know, and then you develop in that way. So that showed me that he understands you can't treat every single kid the same. You treat them all fairly, but you can't treat them the same. Every kid's going to respond to different cues. Every kid learns. Sometimes if you yell at a kid, his ears shut because he had a, an abusive parent or an abusive coach or, sure. or, a, or, a, you know, some kind of t- tough life where when a male figure starts screaming at him, he just shuts down. Yep. I, I had a situation like that. And my best receiver one year was that kind of kid where my other top receiver was uh, his dad, I think was a drill sergeant. That's all he knew. So like I had to treat those two kids real different. They were treating both fairly, but how I communicated with one guy was completely how I communicated with a different guy. That's part of the process of learning. I think Tommy's getting that. So, and I think the technique is good. Like I've never watched their names quarterbacks the last couple of years. Like, man, their footwork sucks or man, they, you know, their, their release point sucks or this is different or that's weird. or The other thing. And so I'm going to be honest with you. I, I actually like the job Tommy has done. I wouldn't call it a great job yet because we need to see the production get better year for him. But, I think I think that also I think he has very firm convictions on on how to coach a quarterback. Now I don't I don't know like every single little detail of that, but I do believe there's firm convictions, and I and I like that. I think you have to have firm convictions in what you believe in because otherwise you, and I think that's what hurt Mike Sanford. I don't think deep down Mike Sanford had convictions as a coach, and so when you watch some coach Vince, it was like he's just grab like I saw this at a clinic, I saw that at the thing. Oh, this guy does this, and it was just grab bagging. It was like what do you even know what that drill's doing? Because number one, the drill's stupid. Number two, you're not doing it right. I mean, that's what I came away from. We had this conversation walking out of a practice one day. I was like, did you watch the drills Mike Sanford's doing with the quarterbacks? What the freaking heck was that about? Like, that was a, the, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, just – and then you see the play of the quarterbacks. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it now, right? <laughs> so, um, it, it's consistency, attention to detail – Pushing them to the point where you've max where, where 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 they know as much as they can, but then not going past that point where you overwhelm them. I think all those are very important pieces. We're getting some great questions today, Vince. We're getting some really can good I, questions, but that was a really I, good one as well. There's a good question here coming up about Everett Golson. And sure. um I, I wanna transition to that. Yeah, and and I wanna talk about Brandon Wimbush because you know, you talked about how how Mike Sanford ruined Wimbush, et cetera, et cetera. I remember telling somebody when Wimbush was coming in that, man, I think this kid might be one of the better quarterbacks in Notre Dame history. Like I thought that he had the tools to be, you know, to throw it, to run it, to do all of these different things. I was so excited about Brandon Wimbush only to be disappointed by the way he was coached and used and ruined for, you know, to use your term. I mean, it, it that was that, that might be one of the more disappointing outcomes of, yeah my life following Notre Dame football, yeah. you know, I'm a guy that I was really excited about. Well, here's a question that just popped up, Vince, and this is from Josh Buffo, the motivational yes. business banker. Yes. What was the biggest waste of talent in Notre Dame? I mean, Brandon's in that conversation yeah. for me. Yes. Phil is too. Yeah. That's but Brandon Brandon is is in that conversation because – and David, David Knight brought this up earlier. I mean, go back and watch Brandon Wimbush against IMG Academy as a senior. He's playing at IMG in the rain. And he, compl- and he passed for over 400 yards. Right. At IMG Academy. Right. 
Right. Now, IMG wasn't quite what it is now at that time, but it was really good. Still, they had dudes. And and you watch him on national TV against Bergen Catholic, and he's just embarrassing Jared Garantano. I mean, just shredding him, just ball placement, just playing great. And then I remember I had a conversation with one of the newer coaches, and I don't know if I've said the name before in the past. I don't know if I've told the story in the past. But I remember having this conversation, and this guy was like just really being – man, this kid really struggles. How's this – this kid, Wimbush, really struggles throwing the football. And and his mechanics are this, that, and the other. And he's like, I, how'd that kid end up at Notre Dame? And I'm like, dude, you don't even understand. Right. And I said, go back and watch his high school film. And he's like, man, I said, go back and watch his high school film. And he did. And he came, he called me up. He's like, dude, that I don't know who that kid is. Like, that kid I just watched on film, that's not the guy we got. Right? So somebody had screwed him up. And that's what he said. Somebody screwed that kid up. And it was Mike Sanford is who it was. So, yeah. It's I mean, disappointing for me. I, yeah. I was so excited about Brandon coming in. I mean, oh, gosh. He was so and, and of course, and this is just adding to it, really, is his makeup as a human was fantastic. You know what I mean? He's a right. great kid. And we see that now with what he's doing after school. But uh, I, that was just so disappointing for me yeah. overall. And somebody asked what we mean by ruined. Uh, it's a good, fair, very fair question. Absolutely a fair question. His mechanics were, uh, they changed his throwing motion, right. th- changed his throwing, like dramatically changed his throwing motion, and he never got comfortable with it. And it shattered his confidence. It, it, it hurt his release point. He couldn't control the ball. Right. His release point stunk. He couldn't, he couldn't find that. Like, so to me, like, we were talking about this with a pitcher in a, in a uh, quarterback yesterday, like where a quarterback will get to a funk. And he's got to get himself out of it, but you're getting stuff out of it because you 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 can get back to your happy place, right? Like you get back to your yeah, sweet spot. Where right. Like, oh, that felt good, right? Like you ever been? I mean, you're a baseball guy, Vince. You ever get in the batting cage? Like, man, he's. I'm just like I'm. I'm not feeling my swing doesn't feel right, right today. Yeah. And then you do make, and then you're like, oh, okay, oh, okay. That, there we go. I, I'm assuming golf is that way. I've never actually had a sweet sweet swing as a <laughs> golfer. Like I hack at right. it, but I mean, I'm assuming golfing same way. Anytime that you have some sort of thing where your whole body works together to accomplish a task, uh, basketball shooting, that's another right. one. Man, my shot feels off today. Like I'm missing it. And, my, and then you, you're like, okay, let me get my mechanics back, and then I'm good to go. And then, okay, yeah, that felt good. It, it feels good when you get back to it. But when you change a guy's mechanics like Brandon and he gets out of whack, there's no happy place to go back to because you've taken the happy place away. You've taken the sweet spot away. His footwork was ignored basically for two years until Tommy Reese showed up and his confidence was shattered because they right. were just, I mean, just the way that Brian Kelly interacts with quarterbacks. Right. You, you like, you know, and he came from Brandon came from a great program at St. Peter's prep. He knew he was like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. Like it was, it was just all of it, confidence, mechanics, throwing motion, all that stuff. And so that's what we mean by ruined. Right. And, and so and here's the thing: if you're not comfortable with your throwing motion, you're you're always thinking about it, which makes it harder to read a defense. And so th- that's what we mean by ruined: is just mechanics were thrown off, throwing motion was changed. You could never get his release point back. He could never. It just it was always a mess. It was so, always yeah, a mess. so disappointing. And that's why when when Brandon did make throw a great deep ball, a, a, a great throw, normally it was a deep ball. Because that's the one time you can kind of just get back to that happy place and let her rip, right? But even then, accuracy on deep balls wasn't great. Right. But it looked great coming out of his hand sometimes. And so that's what we mean by that. Really really good really good follow-up question. That was Ian Johnson asked that follow-up question about what that means. Nice. 
Nice. And, and, and Shane sure O'Shea is the only person thinking that. Yeah, no, right, right. Absolutely. Shane O'Shea is he says, What were your thoughts on Everett Golson? I thought he was going to be great. He seemed to have it all. So on Everett, Vince, I don't put as much of that on Brian Kelly. Now, look, they weren't great at developing quarterbacks back then, but Everett kind of made his own bed in a lot of ways. I mean, we talked about this. I, I, Brian Kelly was too hard on quarterbacks. Everett was the exception. I mean, you'd watch him on the side, and he's trying to be calm talking to Everett because he knew Everett was just mentally not a super tough kid. And he tried to be calm, and, you know, sometimes you, you lose it. But, like, he tried to – he he was way softer on Everett than he was any other quarterback he's ever had. I mean, just – I mean, that was obvious to see. You know, but Everett, Everett was a kid that the team believed in. They rallied around him in 2012. And then he went out and got suspended for 2013 because of his own decisions. No, no one forced him to cheat. No one forced him to, to do what he did. He made that choice and it got him suspended. He made the choice to go work with George Whitfield. Right. Horrible decision. George Whitfield to me is, is not someone I would ever let anyone I know work with as a quarterback coach. I mean, it's all hype. I very few success stories. In my opinion, I usually see kids work with him, come back and they're a hot mess. Johnny Manziel went through that. Johnny Manziel regressed after working with George Whitfield. Yeah. And then Everett came back and somebody had convinced Everett that you're a drop back passer. And, 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 and he could have been, but you took away, he overly took away his ability to run and it took away from his game. And then the other thing is Everett wasn't Everett. I think the time away Everett not never got back kind of a rhythm of, like reading, he would make mistakes that you just, you don't expect him to make. Some of them was trying to force stuff. And right. then the final thing is, is you can't have a quarterback that lacks mental toughness because when you have a quarterback that lacks mental toughness, a game like Arizona state can ruin you. And that's what happened to Everett. The Arizona state game ruined him. And the pick six, like in, in the thing is it shouldn't have because he played terrible in the first half. They fell behind 34 to three. But he's primarily the reason they got it back to 34-31. It's because he made some phenomenal, phenomenal throws. But, Vince, he just never he never kind of mentally recovered from that. I mean, yeah. he was always a bit of a turnover guy. You know, I mean, he always kind of, you know, he turned up. You're like, oh, like, I was it the game against um, in 2014? It was Syracuse game, right, where he, he completed like 20-some, like 20, like 20-something throws in a row. His That's final right. stat line, 32 of 39 for 362 yards and four touchdowns. Only threw seven interceptions or seven incompletions. Two of them were picks because he just – you're like, what the heck? Like, you just made all those great throws. What what was that? You know, so he always had that in him, but then he had the four picks against Arizona State. And even that next week against Northwestern, he put up good numbers, but yeah. he just – he wasn't the same. He just – and by the time you got to the USC game, he was shot, mentally shot. Yeah. I don't blame Brian Kelly for that. You got to be tougher than that mentally, and I, and I don't think ever was. Played a place and like I Notre think Dame. He, yeah, yeah. And I mean, he, and he just he, that position. Period. Don't get me wrong, but like, but especially at Notre Dame, right. right? It's like kicker. I mean, it's you know, we're, we're, Blake Groupie was a super accurate kicker at Arkansas State. We'll see if he can do that at Notre Dame. It's balls the same Little, size, field the same size, goalpost the same size, crowd ain't the same size, the pressure's not the same size, right? <laughs> right. And exactly. So, it, it's a different animal. So it, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. I think this is a big year for time recent quarterback development. I, I really not do. agree more. I, and I, it's partly I, why I'm like, confident in this season, Vince. Go I feel ahead. like that's a show for us coming up just to be sure. putting it out there because we did a, yeah. remember we did a, a Jeff Quinn. This is a big year for Jeff yeah. Quinn offensive line. I feel like 
not with the same no um, no not, with, not in the same vein but right. i also feel like this is a big year for tommy reese and the quarterback yeah yeah because yeah. what we said last year was like all the all the harry Easton guys are gone all the guys that Harry coached and all that, that, that he was the primary driver for, they're gone. We're going to find – this is going to be your line. And we're going to find out. out what it's about. <laughs> it was crap. We did. We found out. <laughs> Just saying. We found out. Man. It was not good. We, we, it was we found not out. good. Yeah. It, 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 let's get to some more questions here, Vince, before you got to get out of here. Yeah, sounds good. And Max, says, do you believe the NCAA announcing NIL infractions will be retroactive? Will have any effect on how schools utilize it moving forward? Not that they have any teeth, really, at the moment. Well, I mean, hopefully they can get some. What he's referring to is is there's supposedly like the the, the schools, right, are are pressuring the NCA to try to start enforcing rules and then make harsh rules, but then make them retroactive. So, like, if you get caught, if if we find if we make these rules and you cheated, we're gonna hammer you for it. Really the like problem I mean, is. They're like severely that. understaffed in that regard, so they're going to have to commit more resources to it. And the other part is, I just don't think they have the cojones to to do anything right. about it. I think I think this is all for show. I think this is this this is the schools because again, here's the thing: the schools can do something about it if you care. Hey, you know, because here's the problem: the schools that aren't doing that don't want to do anything about it are the ones cheating, right? Right. Absolutely. But if USC's president or AD cared about the rules, he called him right. Hey, this better stop. Right, and if any, if, if what I hear about what Jordan Addison is going on, then you know, you, you, you you're Man. we're going to be the ones to deal with this. They don't up. care. Yeah, exactly. like if if Georgia, if the people, the leaders at Georgia or Alabama or Tennessee cared about the rules and the respect, they would do something about it within their own program. Clean up your own freaking program. That's the thing is, we can talk about the NCAA all we want, but the at the end of the day, the NCAA is made up of member schools and sure. people from the schools. And I'm so sick of people in America at every at all the leadership, whether it's politics or whether it's schools or coaches or whatever else, always looking for somebody else to fix a freaking problem that they can fix. Right. Hey, SEC. Right. Because the, the clown from the SEC is one of the people going to Congress to have them do something. Here's what you can do. Get all the flipping presidents into a Zoom call and say, hey, fellas, if you guys don't f- clean up your own situations, we're this is the Congress is going to get involved, and this is not going to go well for us. Or the NCAA is going to do this, or this is going to do that. Where's your moral backbone? Or, or is winning and making money all you care about? Then say that. Don't, don't, let's stop pretending that you give a crap about students at that point in time. Right. Right. But come on, say it. University of Tennessee's leadership, the AD, the president, all of them could do something about what's going on at Tennessee, at Bama, at Georgia, at USC, but they don't because they're cowards and they don't care. Or they don't care, maybe both. Because at the end of the day, they just want to make money. Right. USC's leadership could stop what's going on right now like that. Hey, Lincoln, here's the deal. You you keep doing this. This is against the rules. Here's the rules the NCAA currently has. What you're doing is not right. Okay? So if you if you have any inkling that a booster is being involved in something, you let you tell that kid we can't recruit you anymore, and you let that booster know you're the reason we can't have this kid anymore. Right? And stop right, and then you go report what's going on because you know right. they they won't, right? And so at the end of the day, that's the reality of it. Because again, they don't care, right? Like, oh, this is what I have to do to win. At what point in time is doing the right thing more important than winning? And yep. that's the problem. So like, as long as he's making his money, I, I get so sick of that, and I have no sympathy for that, right? Because making money, there's one of the greatest things I heard when I was a kid. Is a story that I was I was actually told this in church. It's kind of kind of funny when I was a kid. 
it's like there's this really really wealthy guy right and he was dying and he was in, in his you know in his basement and um i'm trying to remember uh trying to remember the, the story but basically he put all he put all his stuff you know all his all his belongings up on the roof because he thought you know when he would die that he'd be able to take him with him right that kind of thing and you know forget how the story goes but you know basically he went he went the opposite direction you know what i mean but the point is like look at the end of the at the end of the day none of the stuff goes with you at the end of the day all that really matters is your character you know all the stuff you've at the end of the day like the difference you make in people's lives your character the the that that's all that matters People, you know, winning and losing because it's just that that's important. I'm not saying it's not important, but it should never it should never be more important than your character. Right. And that's why I I have lost all respect for guys like Lincoln Riley because you know what you're doing is wrong. He doesn't care because he just it's about me. And you know that's that's I just got no use for that. Right. You know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's bring in Ryan Roberts to. And I got to get rid of this USC guy. So oh. <laughs> um, I've, I've put up with it enough. <laughs> You're at the bottom. You get to see all the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ryan, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? I I uh, I thought that uh, wait for him was on me, Brian. I thought you were saying not to bring no. him to the show. Yeah. Yeah. No. I know. No, I, no, I was going to come in and guy. be like, is, is this a Blake Groupie slander going on in here? NCAA slander, man. There's a lot of slandering going on here. Yeah. You just got rid of our mm-hmm. USC guy. So, yeah. Can't believe you. you. Can't gotta, believe go. <laughs> gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go. All right. I will so. throw this one up for you guys and let you guys take care of it because it is a recruiting question, kind of. Notre Dame 2164 says if we land Houston and Jason Moore and keep all of our current recruits, best defensive line class coming out of high school at Notre Dame since. Would you, would you, yeah, I was about to say, would you, would you go all the way to like the, yeah, like the Eshack, Stefan well, to it? I mean, you, it would definitely be better than the 2016 class if they get more in Houston. And, and, and here's right. why, Ryan, the DN mm-hmm. class they got in 2016 was really good. And you had Dalen Hayes was a five star at the time. Khalid Cream was a top 250 guy. Julian Aguara, I thought, was a top 200 guy. I gave Adi Ogandiji a four and a half star upside grade. I, I really liked him coming out of high school. But he was just, he was 210 pounds and needed to develop and all that kind of stuff. But they were all ends. I mean, they all played two positions. It's kind of like what we've said about Texas AM last year. Now, it was, they had a great DN rotation, but that's why you were kind of going to battle with like guys that weren't on the same level as defensive tackles all the time. And then you had the, you know, you had Jerry Tillery in 2015, but then that year they only signed defensive tackles. They signed him, Brandon Tiasa, Micah Du Treadway, and you didn't sign and Elijah Taylor, but you didn't sign any edge players. You did Bo Wallace, but he 
didn't make it into school. And so I, I think I think this would actually be the best class. It would even be better than 2011. And I think, but I think that's where the debate would be, Ryan. And here's why I say I think you could make a case it's better. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I don't think the top is as good as it was in 11. And Keon Keeley to me is every bit as good as Aaron Lynch, maybe even a, a touch better. I don't think that Jason Moore is quite as good as Stefan Tuitt was at the same age. Now, part of it is because Stefan had a really advanced game coming out of high school, where Jason, like you said yesterday, still a, a raw developing player from a technical standpoint. He's close, but not quite. And then you know, the third guy, let's say it's whether it's Bubakar, Brennan Vernon, I don't know if they are where Ishak was coming out of high school. I don't know if the top three is quite as good as the top three, but it's close. It's in the conversation. Yeah. But here's the deal. That class inside was not nearly as good. You had Tony Springman, you had Brad Carrico. Uh, it, it, you, it was an edge. It was an, another edge case. Now you had some inside guys. You also had Anthony Rabasa in that class, who was a you know out an edge guy as a three four outside linebacker. But the inside was not nearly as good. Whereas what I love about this class, Ryan, and this is something we talked about yesterday, this class is different because this class hits it all. You've got a guy that I think could be a, a, a really outstanding nose in this defense. You've got two guys at least that can be big ends and two guys that can be big ends or inside, right? So you got Keon's the Viper. Devin Houston is a nose to three. But between Bubakar, Jason Moore, and Brennan Vernon, that's three guys really that could either be big ends or three techs. So you got five guys that can play together in, in different combinations. That's what makes this group, in my opinion, even be- different. And I would say better because at the end of the day, it's not about recruiting rankings or necessarily landing the three best players. It's did you get a combination of guys that when you put the pads on on Saturdays helps you go beat opposing teams? And I think that this group, if they get Jason Moore and if they get Devin Houston, would, in my opinion, I, I have no problem saying it's definitely better than the 2011 class because it's a more balanced class. And we're saying it's not as good at the top. We're still talking about top 50 to 75 guys, right? But, I mean, Aaron Lynch, Stefano, and Ishak Williams are all five-star players. Yeah. yeah. There, there's no – I mean, they were all top 30 guys. This class mm-hmm. would only have one top 30 guy. Right. So that's my that's my argument for why I think this class would be better than the 2011 class. Agree, disagree. What say you, Ryan? Now, I think when you kind of put all parts together, it makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you something, because I think there's going to be some people that may have this mindset. Right. Because I I we have talked many times. I think Jason Moore could play three tech long term. Mm -hmm. I think that Brennan Vernon could play three tech, maybe even knows long term. I know. I really think that Devin Houston could also be that nose in this system that you're talking about. That could be a really incredible player but all these players that Notre Dame is is recruiting are playing majority defensive end on the edge Mm -hmm. I know there's probably some people out there that are saying but how do you know that those translate to being interior players just curious on your like maybe your rebuttal to people that maybe question if those guys can make that transition it'd be the same response when people say well how do you know a guy can go from tackle to guard and here he's saying recruits all these tackles and how do you know who can snap the ball? Who can you look for certain attributes, right? Right. And I know you know the answer to this, and I appreciate you setting me up to answer it that way. But you look for different things. Can he play with good pad level, right? Like you can get away with not having great pad levels on edge guy. You, you, it's not ideal, but you can get away with it. 
you can't have bad pad level inside. You're, you're going to get whooped all the time. I don't care how strong you are. Cause once those guys who are smaller and not as strong as you get up in your chest and you're stand up, you're, you're going to lose. Right. And, and so I think technique, you look at the, can this guy bend at all? Right. So if I look at Jason Moore and he's got tight hips and he stands up at the line, cause he's a, you know, cause look, we talk about knee benders versus waist benders on the offensive line. It kind of matters on defensive linemen too. And if he's a tight kneed guy or a tight hipped guy and he's got to play high and say, well, you know, that guy can't go inside. But when I do look at Jason Moore, I don't see that. I see a kid that can bend. I see a kid that's got some flexibility, a kid that can get low, a kid that can drive his hips, a kid that understands playing, using his hands. Now, his technique needs a lot of work, but he's got super long hands. He's got the quickness. He's got the frame. His block destruction shows. So then you got to project a little bit. Okay, can he have the size? Can he do this? Can he do that? And then when you look at a guy like same thing like Bubakar, same like Brendan Vernon, right? You got to look at their ability to play with proper pad level, their ability to get get extension with their hands. Because you know, as an end, a lot of times if you're not great at immediately getting into a guy and then locking out as an end, that may not hurt you a ton, Ryan, because you play at different angles. And as an end, you're playing on the side of a guy. Offensive linemen aren't trying to drive at you the same kind of way. You're coming on a pass rush. You know, you're using all that type of stuff. The contact a lot of times, especially in the pass game, happens later in, in, in a snap for an edge player as an interior player where almost everything as an interior guy is right away. It's all almost right away. And so unless you're doing some kind of loop, right, some kind of movement, everything happens quickly. So if a guy doesn't have fast hands or strong hands or doesn't know how to use them, all those type of things. And that projection inside isn't going to be as good. So when I look at the kids that we're talking about, Brendan Vernon, Bubakar Traore, Jason Moore, they all have great length. They all know how they all, they all understand the need to, to use their hands, even though the technique isn't always there. They all have very strong hands, right? So like once the technique is there, cause it's a teachable skill in my opinion, if a kid has slow hands, you, you can do things to improve that. I mean, that's why a lot of you're seeing a lot more modern defense, like NFL defensive linemen working, doing boxing. Aaron Donald's made this famous, but it's a it's really smart. There are drills you can do in boxing to improve the speed of your hands. Now, you're never going to be Mike Tyson from a hand speed standpoint, but you can be faster than what you are. You know, so so you look at it. Can this guy get better? And and so those are the things that I look at and say, can a guy can a guy does a guy have those traits? Can he bend? Can he play low? Does he? Can he move his feet through contact? All those type of things. Can he play with power? Can he take on a double team? What's his block destruction like? I think all those things you can see on film and project that, yeah, that guy can go inside. Just like you can project a tackle to be move inside and play guard. But not every tackle we can project to move inside to play guard. And so I think those are things you look for. And I think that's a fair question. And it's the opposite of what we've – what the other question has primarily been, Ryan, where people are asking, like, do you have any true edge guys? So you could look at it both ways, and in both instances, I think the answer is that's partly what I love about this class because they're they're like you know there's so much flexibility and versatility to what these guys can do that you can play them together in some really unique combinations that adds even more value to what I think this group can be. What are your thoughts on that, Ryan? No, no, I, I agree completely. This is my favorite part of, I mean, this is why I got into the NFL draft space to begin with, right? Because I love that projection. And I think that when you're talking about the high school to college level, there's even more projection that is kind of, you know, evidence in, in those, in those uh, evaluations that you make of players. So I agree. I think that Devin Houston's an easy one. Like I think you could see those traits parlaying inside very well. Like I, I don't think that's an issue at all. Jason Moore is a guy that, 
the reason that I value length in this class so much for Notre Dame is the fact that you have guys like Brendan Vernon, Jason Moore, Bubakar Triori, that if they all land all three of those, Jason Moore obviously is not in the class at this time, you are talking about some length in that spot, and you're talking about guys that I think could project favorably to working inside. Like That's the biggest thing for me with those guys is I think they all have strong hands. I think they all have power elements to them. I think that they all have developmental traits as defense mm-hmm. linemen. Because it's like Jason Moore is not going to be 6'6", 265 for the rest of his life, right? Like right. he's going to put on some weight. <laughs> like he's a 17-year-old kid, right? Like he's going he's going to get bigger. So, And I think it's a fascinating conversation, though, because I, I think that you can make the argument. Because I remember Aaron Lynch's freshman year at Notre Dame, and I was like, wow, that kid's going to be a top-five pick in a couple of years. Like he is incredible. You know, he was – he was the headline of that group before he left, you know, and then Stefan Tua right. took over. So I think, though, that you can compare Keon Keeley to Aaron Lynch and say, who's the better prospect? And then mm-hmm. after that, the Stefan Tua might have the edge over a couple of their guys. But the fact that you have a potential four to five man class that can all play together, including interior and outside guys, I think that's what separates this class. So yeah. if so, in that element, Brian. 2011 they might be best since they might be at least best since 2011 is there ever after that you gotta go back to the 90s i mean you'd have to go yeah i'm i'm gonna have to look up the 1990 class i think i actually have it on my phone if you give me a second i think i actually can look up is that the bryant young class 90 yes that was the bryant young class because jim flanagan was also in that class Mm -hmm. oliver gibson brian hamilton i mean that's your starting lineup for the 93 team that 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 might be close. But again, I don't know what a lot of those guys were coming out of high school. I can only evaluate. I don't know if Bryant Young was considered an elite target coming out of high school. He may, sure. I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer to that. So it's definitely of the, and I like to call it the modern era, which is basically I, the, the, the recruiting services era, which began in 2002. Mm-hmm. It's it, by far, by far. It would, because it, the only one that could compete with it, in my opinion, is 2011. And, and you know, again, looking at it from a recruiting ranking standpoint. Now, obviously, only one of those guys panned out like a five star, and that was Stefan. But yeah. looking at it from a recruiting ranking standpoint, that that would be the only one that could compete. But I, like you said, the balance of it is 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 really where you want to be. Corey D with a question, Ryan, and, and this is something you kind of talked about with a, a kid from South Dakota State. If you haven't seen that video, go to Ryan's at Rise in Draft uh, R I S. E N draft, right? Correct, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, and and watch the video Ryan did. He interviewed a, a kid from South Dakota State who talked about Power Five schools offering him money. You had Zay Flowers yesterday. I, I hope Zay Flowers kills it in every game next year, including Notre Dame. But I still want Notre mm-hmm. Dame to win. I just want him to get his. Right. Yep. Uh, he had schools offering him three hundred thousand, six hundred thousand to leave. He's not even in the portal. Right. Right. And right. he chose to stay. His dad wanted him to stay. Like that's that's called being a good. It's been a good parent. Like, be a man of your word. There's a lot more to this than just money. This BC degree and all that kind of stuff. I loved hearing that. It's getting disgusting. Corey says, since Saban sought to buy mayor, do you think less of him? So, number one, I don't. I doubt that Nick Saban was the one driving that. This isn't to excuse right. Nick Saban. I'm just saying, like he he he's been doing this long enough to know he doesn't have to get his hands dirty, right? He he'll, he'll let right. other people do it. But this yeah. is my issue with Nick Saban. And, and, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that Nick Saban is saying so much publicly against all this stuff. He warned that NIL, I found an article the other day that I wrote last April where I said, this isn't going to be a thing where this creates parity. This is going to be where the other schools are going to turn into minor leagues for Alabama. And that's exactly what's happening. The best schools are basically picking the best players from the smaller schools. 
And that's exactly what's happening. At least in the, like somebody asked me, a guy asked me a really good question on, on, uh, on DM today on Twitter. He said, do you think you know, college football is going to turn into major league baseball with, with salary, no salary cap, which means the, the, the big market people. And I said, it's worse than that because in major league baseball, there's tampering rules that get enforced. You can't go talk to a guy while he's still under contract with another school, right? I mean, with another team, you, you get hammered for that. There's not, that's not being enforced right now in, in major in, in college football. And so it's, it's even worse than that. But here's my issue with Nick Saban. He's saying all the right things. Oh, this NIL is not going to be good. And he's not against players getting paid. It's just the, 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 there's no rules. He's against the transfer portal being the way. But then he goes and takes advantage of it. And, and you know, he steals, you know, when Jameer Gibbs entered the portal, I called somebody who's connected with the Georgia Tech program. And I was like, you know, hey, look, what's the deal with Jameer Gibbs? Because I knew someone in coaching that wanted to, that, that was interested in him and, you know, wanted to know if I, if I knew anything about, you know, where he was looking. And so I, I made the call and, and he's like, oh yeah, he's going to Bama. And so I said, and I, so yeah, this has been, it's, we've, everybody's known that for a month. I'm like, hold on a second. He just entered the portal like yesterday. So, oh yeah, it's been a done deal for over a month. And it's just like, so at what point in time do you say, well, yeah, it, it, the kid from Louisville, I, every time some of so the, this kid from Louisville jumps in and, oh, do you think Notre Dame should look at him? Like, guys, as I said before, these kids don't enter the portal to look for schools. They enter the portal as the last step to picking the school that has been recruiting them for a long time, which is yeah. there are rules against that. The NSA just doesn't enforce them. So don't come out here on your high horse talking about how these things are bad for the game. And then you're the best. You're the biggest beneficiary of it. You What you do is you say to your boosters, hey, we're not taking these kids. I'm putting my foot down. I have seven rings. I don't need to prove anything else. I care about the game that's done so much for me. You're the you're the primary steward of the game, Nick Saban. So at what point in time are you going to say, hey, I warned people about this. You're the one taking advantage of it. It's like what I said earlier. At what point in time does you doing the right thing become more important to you? And I've heard people hammer Dabo for this. Oh, that's why Clemson's is not as good because he won't take transfer. And I'm like, good good on him you're hating on the guy he's actually saying this is wrong and we're not going to do it and it's hurting clemson and people are hating him on him for it. i'm like good for you Dabo, because you're putting your money where your mouth is i'd rather not win than win that way and the the sad thing is we don't have enough people in our country that believe that because as long as you're winning it's okay and as long as my it's like politics right you you hear these things about, and this is this isn't a political right side left. This is a general statement. You hear these things about how Congress has like a twenty one percent approval rating, and yet incumbents win not. So it's what it is. It's like I hate politicians except my guy, right? Our senator, our representative, and that's how it is in sports too. I hate all these cheaters. Well, except for my coach because we're winning, right? Like. If USC wasn't doing what they're doing and Oregon was, USC fans would be going, like all 75 of them would be going crazy right now, right? They'd be losing their minds right now because Oregon's cheating and buying players, but because they're doing, oh, you're just hating because you're not, not winning. I'm not worried about USC. Not worried about USC. It's the game that bothers me. It's you're hurting the game that you that has done. So, you're a millionaire because of this game, Lincoln Riley. And you're crushing it because you have you all you care about is winning, but you're not winning. You're losing because you're setting a horrible example and you're showing yourself you have no moral fiber whatsoever. So Nick Saban can get on his high horse and say all these wonderful things. But then when you go out and do the exact thing you're railing against simply because while well, everybody else is doing, I might as well, too. 
then then I have no respect for you at that point in time. I have respect for Dabo who's saying, hey, we're not going to do that. I have respect mm-hmm. for Marcus Freeman saying, we're not going to do that. I, I've talked to I've talked to people around Notre Dame when a kid gets in the portal and, and they're like, yeah, the kid's got the kid's got some interest, but we're not playing that game. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. There's but the problem is, right, there's not enough coaches like that. Because hey, I, I got to win to keep my job, right? Mm-hmm. I got okay, that's fine. So as long as you get to keep your job and make money, it doesn't matter what you do. Right. And, and I just I have no respect for people like that. And I, I know people say, oh, what? I don't care what you say about me. I have no respect for people like that. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. And if you're not willing to make the sacrifices, do it the right way. And you're not willing to to, to say, hey, I'd rather I'd rather not get this kid than get this kid the wrong way then you're a coward. You have no moral backbone. And I don't want to hear what you have to say about the eight, the things that are ailing college football, because you're the problem. And that's mm-hmm. what I would say to Nick Saban. You get off your high horse and either shut up and keep doing what you're doing. Or if you're going to speak out, then live it, live it. Don't talk to talk, walk the walk. Right. Yep. That's why I got more respect for Dabo Sweeney than I do Nick Saban. Cause Dabo's walking the walk and he's talking to talk and it's hurting his program. Yeah. Now, I mean, so I I just want to comment real quick on the whole issue here, because like you said, I I just talked to Tucker Craft, who was a tight end out of South Dakota State, which was, I mean, Brian, I didn't even ask him about the whole NIL thing or whatever. He literally just far he I asked him about maybe the fact that you're maybe a little under the radar. And by the way, this kid's a really good player. All American on the FCS level will we'll be drafted next year, no doubt about it. Probably the best tight end to come out of FCS football since Dallas Goddard, who also came out of mm-hmm. South Dakota State. So I asked him, you know, just I feel like you feel like you're underappreciated because you play on the FCS level. And he said, well, yeah, from like the general people, but, you know, this offseason there were plenty of schools that were offering me six-figure deals to come play for their program. And I literally yeah. said, were you in the transfer portal? No, wasn't in the transfer portal. People mm-hmm. were just coming at me. And that's where my biggest issue is right now. I think that there is, in theory, I mean, not in theory. I like that the players are able to make money off their name. 100%. 100%. 100%. I, I like that they're able to transfer to another school. I have zero issue with the movement. The fact that there is nothing that is, there's no entity that's helping and regulating anything right. is my biggest issue with the movement. Because wait till some say, of these kids get their ta- get tax, get, get, get the IRS coming after them. Right. Right. I know. I know. And that's the stuff that they're not being advised about. Like there's not an, an entity that's giving them any guidance, which is the my main thing that I hate. But I will tell you this. I I, told, I, I went on the radio last night because somebody asked me about that article and they wanted to bring me on real quick. And I said this, as far as this poaching of players that isn't even in the transfer portal, that is about as wrong of a thing as I have ever seen. And like it is, it is going to get so much worse, man. Like at right. what point is this going to change? Because right. I know they're they're taking it to a government level. The NCAA is still not doing anything. At what point is someone just going to say, like, okay, there needs to be regulations enough. here? Because otherwise, because yeah. you're literally taking – it's an FCS program, so, like, not many people care about it. South Dakota State, even though it's a power on the FCS level, right, one of the better programs on that level, mm-hmm. they're about to – they could have potentially lost their All-American tight end if he didn't absolutely adore that program right. to, a, to a top feeder. And like you said, it's not going to create parity. There's going to be bottom feeders and there's going to be right. the elites. That is 100% what's going to happen. And how is that right? How is it right that that can happen right now? Yeah. And, and look, like there's an argument to be to be had that some people will make that 
you know, it's not fair to the coaches that build these kids up to have them poach. That's not an argument that, I, that I'm going to have much sympathy for because those same coaches will build these kids up and then use the success of those kids to take another job somewhere else for more money. So I, that, that, that argument doesn't really fly for me. Right. So if, if you're going to, if you're going to hammer freedom of movement for players, then you need to hammer freedom of movement for coaches as well and make it harder for coaches to just constantly move back and forth for, for more money. Right. I mean, and, and so what, what I mean is like, you know, cause like you and I, you know, my stance on freedom of movement. I think you should be able to transfer wherever you want, whenever you want, but you just got to sit out a year. Right. Because it's in, and you know, my heart, where my heart is on this, it, because I believe that sit out year is going to make kids really sit down and think that they're making the right decision for the right reasons. You are going to make less emotional decisions. Now, having said that, if that kid from South Dakota state jumped in the portal, I have no problem. School's getting a new bidding war for him because that's, that's the rules. As long as it's being done in a way that's at the heart of the name, image, and likeness, which is, hey, you come here. I got these five deals lined up for you. You got to do this commercial thing. You got to do this thing. We're going to use your face on this billboard, whatever the case may be. There's got to be some sort of transaction there. You can't just be offering money to a kid just to come play there. That I don't like. You know, but but these kids can bring great value for different things. I'm I'm good with that. I I've been saying for years that jersey any every like. 10, 20% of every jersey sale that you have should always go towards players. It should always go towards a fund to help players when they get out of college because when they're done playing, their injuries don't go away. But the help that you're, you know, the, the support system that they had while they were a player does go away. This would be a way that you could go, hey, we're going to make, you know, however much money we make off football weekend, 10% of it's going towards a, a fund for players. Once you graduate, you can tap into this, assuming, you know, as long as you're not a, you know, there, there should always be something like, hey, you know, Zach Martin doesn't need that, right? Like Zach Martin could take care of his own medical bills, right? That You get what I'm saying? Like within reason, there's always that kind of thing. But like, why wasn't this done for years? Because that's looking out for the player. It Because of this other crap that we are now in the this crap storm that we're in now. And, and so you can be for players being able to benefit off of their name, image, and likeness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can absolutely be for that, but against what we're seeing right now. And, and and that's the thing is there's one simple rule. Hey, if you reach out to a kid and, and this, here's like, this rule is already in place. A th- any, any entity involved, no one can speak to a player, a family member, a coach, anyone associated with a kid. You can't do back channels. It's against the rules. Well, it wasn't a coach. It doesn't have to be a coach. The rules say anyone, you can't speak to a kid on behalf of another school, whether the school knows it or not. That's already a rule. Enforce it. Hey, Jordan Addison, you can, you're in the portal now. You can go wherever you want, except there and there, because they reached out to you beforehand. Sorry, they're not eligible to get you, but you can go to, you can go to, you know, let's say Alabama and USC reached out to him. That's the rumor that I've heard. Both of those schools were sort of in a negotiation with him before he got in the portal. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. He can transfer wherever the heck he wants, except those schools because they broke the rules. I'm not, and I'm not punishing Jordan Addison for this. I'm not no. punishing him at all. Now, people could say, Honestly, you know, yeah, they they, they were the ones he's, that reached a, out he's to an him, adult now. He needs to know the rules right. too. But at the same time, it's like I'm not putting this on the shoulders of the players. They need to. They, we need more Zay Flowers. Hundred percent. I have way more respect for Zay Flowers than I do for Jordan Addison. Fact. Fact. But I'm also not going to hold Jordan Addison to the same standard that I'm holding Lincoln Riley and Nick Saban and Steve Sarkeesian and all those people. I'm not. And and that's the difference is they better not. So here's what the NCAA is going to do, right? Back to the original question. They're going to declare all these freaking kids ineligible. 
That's what they're going to do. You think and it's so? going to piss me off. I do. Because they wow. always do stupid things like that. Because they're always, they're always, they always punish the kids. It's like, let's like, you see, you'll see a coach get fired in basketball and all the kids that were part of the cheating gets, get, are gone. And the, the kids that are there left that didn't do anything wrong, the coach, the new coach, they're the ones that get put on probation. Like, why? Why are you punishing people that had nothing to do with this? It's like Notre Dame and their, their academic thing. They suspended all the kids that did that. They got their punishment, but then you took the wins away from the whole, all the players that didn't do anything wrong. Stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And that's what the NCAA does. I, I, I'd i be shocked if they don't, if, if they, like, let's say they pass this rule retroactively or whatever, and they can prove that Jordan Addison did this, that, and the other. I could see them easily giving Lincoln Riley a little slap on the wrist and saying, Jordan Addison, you can't play. That's I'd say that's, that's what, but it, would it shock you if they do that based on what the NCAA no. has a history of doing? No. It, it wouldn't I, I just. It, I, I hadn't thought about that, to be honest. Yeah. That that I said, you're not eligible to play there. You can, tra- you can go back right. to Pitt. You can transfer somewhere else. But you can't transfer anywhere that, that we know you had contact with beforehand. Right? Oh, man. And- could you imagine all the, all the NIL money that's been passed out, right? And then you have to kind of figure all that headache out of the yeah. way, too. Oh, man. Yeah. And that's oh, what's it. there's an easy fix of this. Hammer yeah. the coaches financially. Hammer them. And the yeah. first thing, there's two things you do. Make the make the the financial penalties for the schools sting a little. Take scholarships away, that stings, mm-hmm. and then say you can't get a port. It it's the international system in baseball is the one they should adopt for the portal. It, the easiest fix right there. If you get caught cheating the system, you mm-hmm. can't sign a kid from an international system. Like the Reds have done this. Like and there's rules. Like if you spend more than a certain amount. You can't sign anyone the next year. There's like all these types of things. It's similar to that, but I would I would make it very cut and dry. If you get yeah. caught tampering in this situation, and I would lower the bar for how to prove it. Like you don't need to have it like beyond a reasonable doubt, like a court of law. This isn't a court of law. You're not being. It's not a felony charge. If there's any kind of okay, this booster talked to this kid's dad. Done. Proved. You're done. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no other reason for a guy from LA to talk to Jordan Addison's father or mother or high school coach or whatever the case may be. Right. You're done. You can't, you can't sign a kid. You can't get a transfer for, to into your school for three years. You got to make the punishment sting enough. You're like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it right. to do that. Right. It's real simple. Wait for the flipping kid to get in the portal, then go after him. It's not that hard. And if a kid wants money that bad, then he can jump on a portal and then he can take that chance, right? Mm-hmm. Because if there's more risk involved for both sides, you're going to see less people jumping in, just looking for money. Right. And there's some kids that may still do that, but and that's fine. But now you have kids jumping in the portal for the right reasons. My coach isn't giving me a shot. I need to get closer to home. I just don't like it here. All the legitimate reasons kids have to transfer. I transferred after my freshman, right? And I started as a freshman. I'm pro transfer. As long as it's done in a way where there's enough safeguards in place to make sure kids aren't making emotional decisions that they're regret down the road. And I use myself as a perfect example because I did. There at D3, there are no you can do whatever the heck you want. There are no safeguards against it. And so a lot of D3 kids make really immature decisions, emotional decisions. And I don't want to see that come to division one. And we're already seeing it. And the other thing is you're not helping the kids because go look at the number of kids. I saw it was like it's like fifteen percent at least of the kids that are on scholarship that enter the portal end up without a scholarship it's because like, it, all the spots are filled. There's like there's I mean to your point, most of the kids that transfer quickly in a reasonable amount of time 
have an understanding of where they're transferring to. But also, there's a lot of kids that go into the portal that just aren't advised at all. So there, I think right. the transfer portal right now is like 5,000, man. There's like 5,000 players in there right now who do not know where they're going yet. Like, right. they just don't. They and there's are, not enough spots for any, any, close to all those kids to have a home. Exactly. Like, Notre Dame can't take any of them. They're, they're at 85 right now and because nobody from Notre Dame entered the portal, which shocks some people. And mm-hmm. why? Because all these kids want to play for Marcus Freeman. Right. Yeah. So they can't yeah. take anybody right now. They're they're filled. They're full. There's a lot you, of you schools know like that. You know, it's starting to rub me the wrong way, too. I liked the initial idea of collectives. Right. I, I mm-hmm. really did. But I feel like now they're going to serve as the middleman. So the coaches obviously right. don't get in trouble reaching out to kids, right. you know, like that's. Yeah. So. Right. I don't know. Yeah, you can't. You can't have con. And no one can have any kind of contact, way, shape, or form with a kid from another school. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. And if a kid wants to make more money and he's not happy where he is, do it. The kid from Miami, like I don't like it. It's it's a. But I have no. I have what the kid, the Miami basketball player did this. He was, I guess, their best player last year. I don't know. Okay. But they, the Miami people, raised all this money to get some Kansas State transfer to go there. So the the best player from Miami said, "This is bull crap." So he jumped in the portal saying, "Hey, I'm I'm open for business because they're giving this kid all this money. I'm the I, I'm the guy that did all the work last year, and I'm not getting mine. Good, you know what? I I hate it, but I love it at the same time, right? Because he's doing it the way you're supposed to do it. You jump in the portal and say, "Hey, I'm open for business. I actually don't have a problem with that. I, I don't. Now you you're taking a risk because the school you're coming from. I say, you know what, dude? Screw you, right? You know, forget that." And other schools may say, hey, look, we're not willing to give you what that kid gave you, whatever the case may be. There's a risk. There's always, but that's the thing is there's always risk involved in decisions you make, right? There's always professional risks that you that you make when you make a move. You've, you've made a big transition race recently from a career standpoint. There's always risk involved, right? And and when you make that decision, there's it's not like if you hated working at Irish Breakdown a month later, you can call the school, but hey, I was just kidding. You, you know what I mean? Like, I just need to, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you, that, that that's done, man. You're, you're Now you're screwed, right? Fortunately, I, I hope you love working at Irish Breakdown, and, and I certainly love having you with us at Irish Breakdown. But but it was still a risk because you, you're a husband, you're a father. There's always risk involved. And at the end of the day, you know, it, it's a broken system. But if a kid wants to jump on the portal and do it the right way and say, hey, I'm open for business, buddy, I got no problem with that. I, I don't, I don't, it makes me like kind of cringe a little bit. But at the end of the day, I'm also okay with it, especially in basketball. So I just – I hate that we're having this conversation. I, I really do. I hate that we have to do this. But it, it was so obvious that it was going to happen. When you saw the portal and NIL all kind of cut at the same time with like – it was so obvious the NCAA was so afraid to fix anything. I, You know, I just – man, I, I I hate it. I hate, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it because – you can be pro transfer and pro NIL and still look at this and say, yeah, but this ain't it, right? Like this ain't, this ain't the way to do it. This ain't the way to do it.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.